Greetings, geeks, and welcome to a very special edition of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. I'm Adam, and recently for the holidays, we released a bonus episode where we were covering the first two Toy Fair specials. It was a beloved publication, of course. It feels like it became known as much for its zany comedy as for presenting the latest toy industry news and being a monthly action figure price guide. Uh, but where did it all begin? Well, tonight we are seeking to answer that question through a reunion of some of the original editorial team who pulled Toy Fair together in its earliest form. Yes, joining us tonight are uh, Toy Fair editor Scott Beatty, design manager Steve Blackwell, copy editor Andrew Carden, and contributing editor Brian Cunningham. So uh, before we get started here, I just want to ask this. How many of us have an action figure, a toy of some sort, just within arm's reach? Just oh, like yeah, you can yeah. turn and you see one. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh, Migo Spidey. Nice. <laughs> I want up you, Brian. Oh, Nightwing. Another Migo Spidey. This is great. Spidey's Sorry, all this up. is the original Migo Spidey. Ooh. Yeah. We are going to get into that. Yes. It lasted one whole uh, episode. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now, obviously, we're all toy fans here. Uh, but I want to ask, in your mind, what is it about an action figure or a toy as a collectible that feels like it is just like always been something that's popular, always seems to adore, even you know, to this day, all the more so, it seems to just become more and more a thing in pop culture. What is it about action figures that captures our imaginations? Yeah, to me, it just always felt like it was a way to take the two-dimensional and make it three-dimensional and let your imagination run wild. We didn't have a lot of other ways to, uh, to kind of use our imaginations when we were younger. There was, and, and we weren't preoccupied with with like easily available video. We had to entertain ourselves, so that's where it really started. I think also we're all of the generation that was, uh, you know, right at the ripe age for Star Wars toys and Mego action figures and just about everything that came along uh, before, during, and after that time. And you know, this was uh, really sort of a celebration. So, you know, you sort of have the brain trust here. And and I think, you know, a Andrew was more of a contributing editor uh, and part of like the, uh, the the team that sort of came up with the the mission statement for the magazine uh, as we launched. And, and you know, really the, the people that are missing, uh, Tom Root, Tom Palmer, Doug Goldstein, and uh, the beloved and uh, late uh, Pat McCallum, um, who passed away this past year and who we all loved and adored, um, you know, the magazine, you know, really came out of Pat and, you know, his, his great and abiding love. I mean, you wouldn't have found a bigger kid than him. And he kind of allowed all of us, I think on the wizard editorial staff, Brian, I think can attest to this to, to be kids and not be afraid to be big giant nerds and love it. Well, and speaking of Brian, I, I got to ask, you were the first official toy columnist for Wizard Magazine. Mm -hmm. So in the years leading up to Toy Fair, those first five years, how would you describe the reader's relationship with toys as collectibles and action figures? Was that a column in particular that was getting a lot of mail? Was there a lot of interest in that as a topic? Uh, yeah, we did get a lot of mail. And, you know, we did a lot of the you know, the homemade heroes with uh, people, you know, uh, creating their own versions of characters. Uh, you know, I 
I still have some of them that uh, that have been sent to me. Like uh, you know, like uh, someone someone sent me a uh, oh boy, what was that character's name? Um, the thermodynamic man, um, Equinox. Equinox. Yes, yeah. Equinox, the thermodynamic man, who's half uh, basically half Ice Man, half uh, not half. It radiates, Brian. Oh my God, Sorry. nerds! <laughs> yeah, I don't know who. This yeah, guy. so. Uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, the fact that those exist and people were so passionate about doing that, the more we got, then the more we would show in the magazine, the more, the more people responded to that. And, and, you know, I think people wanted to one up, uh, you know, what they were seeing. So, you know, it, it, it was, it was super fun. And, you know, as time went on, you know, we would see toy. I mean, the fact that, you know, toys exist for like, I have a profit action figure, you know, I I have bad rock, you know, I mean, like I have action figures for all these, like all these characters that, that wouldn't, I don't think it would exist if there was no market for that. And, and I think that entire generation of image founders, uh, wizard founders, we all came of age at this time that the, you know, something Steve and Scott were saying earlier, uh, it was, it was kind of a perfect storm of interest, you know, in this stuff. And, you know, I think we just wanted, uh, as we got older, you know, and we look back on our childhoods, you know, we, you know, there were, there were, there was a great fondness obviously for, for the things that we had uh, and probably didn't survive yeah, and it did feel like at that point uh, where Toy Fair was coming into existence and Kenner Hasbro started releasing Star Wars figures again after so long, that must have ignited a lot in you. And so oh. I have to ask for you guys, what are your earliest memories of Toy Fair as a concept being rumored around the office? And then if not that, you're just being recruited into the project by Pat. What do you guys recall? Well, I think part of me coming on board the magazine was... Uh, to to kind of uh, take over the toy column. And then we sort of, I don't know, around that time, Wizard was doing their first specials. Maybe maybe like Toy Fair was maybe the ninth or 10th special. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong because you, know, you were there much longer. Um, but we sort of created the atmosphere for it. And I don't know, it just, it seemed, I, there was so much product out there that the toy column was expanding and it just, it seemed natural. Um, and I, th- I think that the uh, the the powers that be, Garab and everyone else, was looking for a more like wizard product too. So I don't know. Didn't it seem like the most natural extension at it, the time it, that did after seem Inquest? The, yeah, no, that's definitely seemed the most natural. Um, and, and like you said, it was it was a glut of of product to talk about. So it wasn't like it was going to be a stretch. Like Inquest at times felt like it could be. A, a bit too esoteric, whereas Toy Fair, I mean, there, there was so many things to, to to cover. I think that was part of the reason it, it came in existence. We were running out of room in Wizard. We kept giving you more and more pages, and we're like, oh, we should give this its own magazine. But we're doing the specials, and then we did a second special pretty quickly after the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really surprised how quickly that turned into a monthly magazine, but it was fast. Yeah, I, I think jumping off something Brian said, too, with uh, the homemade heroes and the, uh, there was no character at that point that uh, was too uh, obscure. And I think we sort of taught the product managers at the companies that that there's there's no small character. You know, even the background characters in the cantina, that guy that's in one frame, 
somebody will buy that. And when we did the homemade heroes that were dedicated to the top 10 Star Wars characters that you want to see. And, you know, of course, we made it goofy, you know, like uh, Biggs Darklighter or oh, no, um, Porkins, Porkins. <laughs> who, who was literally Porky, you know, with a drumstick in his hand uh, <laughs> that, that they loved it. And of course, they looked at it, it's like, well, yeah, well, we'll have to get to that guy sometime. So. And I'm curious for you guys, does anybody have a, rec- a recollection of where the name Toy Fair came from? Obviously, Toy Fair existed as an event, but like as it was originally being promoted, it was just being called a toy price guide. It was being called a toy special, like leading up to when the magazine actually hit racks. It was just like it didn't have the name Toy Fair immediately. Steve, can you? Uh, I just want to say that one of the most fun uh, exercises to be part of was the naming of any wizard product yes. because it was so absurd. And the 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 people who got to contribute to that uh, sometimes, like literally the goal was to come up with the stupidest idea and throw it out into the room. And occasionally that would be the one that got picked. Not in this case, but like uh, I, I want to say poster mania was literally a joke it was somebody's idea of a funny idea and they threw it out and it stuck and it was like okay <laughs> yeah there were a lot of decisions made by clipboard that was passed yeah. around yes so yeah. i i don't recall i remember i i remember that when i think the name was raised i have some dim memory that was like oh that makes sense that's total you know it's better than action figure insider or tomart's guide to collecting it just you know, claiming that name because of the popularity of the International Toy Fair was, I don't know, whoever came up with it should be clapped on the back because that was super smart. And I do remember the design meetings with Steve uh, where you had the various logo treatments yeah. and Garab being called down and and uh, Pat in, the, in your cubicle, your office space, yeah. um, which was an actual office, excuse me, it wasn't a cubicle. And I don't know, we were arguing over whether or not the, the final E should be canted. Should be yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, that's kind of, you know, playful. Let's do it that way. So, yeah. you, know, was, you know, there was a, there was a lot of argument over that. Well, and Steve, uh, speaking of your contribution, obviously, uh, you know, designing this magazine, how did you go about trying to give Toy Fair its own uniqueness, but still invoking kind of the wizard style? Because there are like, you know, very specific things you can point out when you when you look at the magazines, like you say, the logo specifically, you're just mentioning, but then like right here, I'm point to this one but like if you look like you put these little marks on the end of every page well well, that's the idea so all right so that came about because uh that's a circulation thing right so when magazines are on display very often in the old days in in a newsstand especially you you basically that upper left hand corner of a magazine is gold that's where everybody like you knew no matter what your facing was going to be on a rack that part would be seen. So the idea was to brand this magazine with a device where people would instantly be able, even if they only saw that T and that little corner, they'd know that's Toy Fair. I got to grab that. Um, so that's where, literally where that came from. That was a, 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 a conscious choice based on magazine sort of tenets that we kind of lived by back in the day. Um, but the rest of it, as far as it goes, like, so the idea was, was just find because the design sense for wizard, even though it evolved as we were, were evolving the, the idea of trying to keep things cleaner. Cause you'll notice that once we hit past the fifties, 
of wizard into the 60s it's everything started to get a lot more clean um and that's what we kind of started driving towards and with toy fair it was clean and the, and the idea was that colors and font choices that we built into this design were legible but playful so that's where a lot of that stuff comes from in terms of the choices that we made for that yeah, that's great. And so and this is what I'm curious about, because in Pat's opening letter in the in the first uh, winter special, he mentions that, you know, after he got the OK from Garib and everybody upstairs to move forward with this, you know, toy special concept at the time, he called it like a mad dash to put that together in like five months time. He said, everybody's working 10 hour days. You guys obviously are doing wizard and this toy special at the same time. So for the rest of you, what were some of your responsibilities at this time? Is it related to toy fair? Like Brian, did you have to take on extra work while other people were kind of <laughs> stepping in, uh, into the toy fair realm? Like how did that work? What do you guys remember about what you were being put in charge of trying to prep toy fair? I, I have to be candid with you. I have zero recollection of any involvement whatsoever i i i may have been involved maybe maybe the others have some recollection but i i really uh, that that whole period of time was kind of a blur you know i my only recollection was i don't know if it was the macarena that we came up with or twisted toy fair theater but it was it was in white castle and uh, it was pat me and i believe it was you andrew yep um and I, I don't know if that's where we came up with the Macarena thing or the or just t Twisted Toy Fair Theater. Um, but, you know, that's that's where it started in White Castle. Of all, and that's my only recollection of really being involved in any early stage. I, I think I can weigh in here, Brian. Um, I mean, Brian was I, everybody here in this room right now was kind of deeply involved in the start because I recall uh, Pat pulling us all out to uh, I don't know. Where was it? It was. Uh, it was a restaurant. <laughs> Probably Dead David Higgins. Buster's or Rick's. Uh, no, no, okay. it wasn't David Buster's. It was, uh, I don't know, like a Bennigan's. I think Bennigan's. Yeah, oh, Bennigan's, Bennigan's back uh, in the day, yeah. So, and, you know, lunch meetings at Wizard were epic. Long, you know, they were, like, you know, a couple hours long with notepads and food and trying to create the, the thing. So uh, I shared an office with Andrew and Mike Searle, uh, editor of Inquest. And so, you know, we were pulled in. And Brian and uh, Doug Goldstein, I believe, and Doug and Steve. And uh, the first meetings were about setting out what the content was going to be. So we weren't just going to be a price guide and a news source, that there was going to be entertainment, just like Wizard. And so, you know, taking the idea that Twisted Migo Theater that was already kind of germinating at that point, uh, behind the scenes articles, I think Pat had a real passion for showing people how action figures were made. And I think we broke a lot of ground because we showed lots of young Hong Kong, you know, uh, workers, factory workers in their berets, creating action figures like stuff nobody would allow today because of, you know, just how terrible the working conditions are. Um, doing the homemade heroes, but just like filling a full magazine. And then that cover concept, um, you know, creating we, we got this guy, Charlie Flat, to create these hyper realistic Migos. Um, and then we worked with him on going to a certain extent. He turned out to be, you know, kind of a, he became a rock star and then had sort of some rock star attitudes as a result, but just kind of pulling it all together. And, I, you know, and I think with everything at Wizard, the ideas came from everywhere and no idea was, was, you know, tossed out. We, we tried everything. We threw everything against the wall 
and put it on a whiteboard and, you know, whittled out what wouldn't work or we didn't think would work. And then we, I don't know, inevitably come back to those ideas later. Well, and, and no, and no idea was met with, we can't do that. We found a way to make it work. Let's have a Malamute test action figures. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That, because that, it, that because the guy was Jim sure. McLaughlin's buddy. So let's have Zach Malamute eat. John Seals. Digest, chew, you know, masticate, defecate action oh. figures and, and then <laughs> test them as a result. I mean, you know, I mean, and we're like, yeah, let's do it. You know, <laughs> cool dogs. Yeah, I got to tell you, so that, that that's my favorite thing, the, you know, the ultimate action figure stress test. And previously, John Seals had done the, the comic book stress test in Wizard, and it it upset some people. They did not <laughs> like that there was destruction of these priceless <laughs> pieces of art. But uh, I want to ask you guys this, while we're on the topic of Charlie Flatt and the Migos and everything, why do you think the choice was made to use Mego figures so prominently on the covers when that style of toy and figure was not necessarily in vogue at the time. There were, you know, some Star Wars 12 inch and, and 10 inch and things like that that were coming out, but it wasn't the main thing that kids were buying at the time. And Andrew, I think you might have some insight as to why Mego was at the forefront of Toy Fair. Uh, Steve will probably have more from a design perspective, but my initial, I guess gut is at the time most action figures weren't as articulated yeah. um and which is actually why um, we went with migo spidey originally it wasn't amigo in the very first time we were doing a macarena i don't remember which it must have been a toy biz figure or something pat was trying to use he couldn't get it to do the arms the way he wanted to and i had my own little house of horrors in my office with all my migos <laughs> horrific positions doing very bad things um so i remember him running in and saying I need to borrow that. And he grabbed Spidey, ran back and said, this works so much better. And from there it went on. And I think beyond the articulation, it's just the way they look. Like the faces are so cartoony and expressive. They're n they don't look like they're from the comic book. They, no, they and, do, and on but top they of that, don't. It's, it's also, like you said, alluding to the quality of the image. When you shoot a smaller figure and you're blowing it up to two to three hundred percent its original size all the flaws are magnified tremendously so that's why a lot of times if we weren't shooting the charlie flat figures that that are fairly big a lot of times from the um the designers like mcfarlane we got a handful of two-ups and right. they were they were huge they were they were like 18 to 24 inches tall like some of these guys uh digger phelps and some of the other like toy designers would come out with these things and you know we would shoot those and you get just a much better image for the cover yeah i'm i'm still surprised to this day that so many toy companies trusted us with these two ups that were you know worth tens of thousands of dollars because they were you know what they used to make the steel molds out of and having to go back to scratch and they they sent them to us we took loving care of them covered them in all kinds of i don't know all kinds of stuff and yeah. then cleaned them up and returned them. Yeah, Pat even alludes to in his editorial that some of them were lost and all these other things. Like <laughs> it was a madhouse in those early days. It was crazy. Uh, but I, think, oh, I was going to say, I just think from early on, Migo Spidey became sort of the spiritual. Oh, you know, Migo yeah. Spidey was Pat's id. Yeah, you know, allowed yes. like let loose. You know, there was there was no crime too too bad for Migo Spidey, <laughs> and allowed Pat to be just as 
crazy as he wants to be on it. And you know what's supposed so funny was uh Toy Biz let us do everything. Marvel had no complaints. Uh DC, you know, I mean we were so I don't know, below the radar. And then when we were above the radar, they appreciated the press, I think. So, you know, no one sent us a cease and desist. Oh, for, DC did. DC well, did. Sparrow yeah. cookie. Yeah, we, we could not use DC stuff after a while. We oh, had to actually, the, and reprints, the, the, we had to go back and change all the costumes. Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. Well, Star yeah. of the Cookie came after me. So that was, <laughs> that must have been under Matt Senreich's or someone else's, uh, you know, Zach. Well, I want to say that was like the eighth issue or something. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm it wasn't sure. that far in. But yeah, we ended up having a really, like, yeah, really? in every reprint for the collections, we had to go back and change. Like, we couldn't use the full on DC. Uh, strips and ones where characters would show up a little bit. We had to alter the costumes to make it look like, All right, okay. you know, it's like Superman's costume went to like purple and you know yellow or some shit. Okay, yeah. we got hauled, you know, before the companies for Hellfire, Helena, like the, the the sort of the Morts of the Month characters, the the really bad action figures. They were really upset, and uh, we had to have a special ambassador to Toy Biz because we made fun of the very first Laura Croft Tomb Raider figure, and that involved sort of a you know, a sit down with the, the feuding, you know, mafia families. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah, I had my butt handed to me, you know, in a Manhattan office on that one. Well, I, I remember like in the first top 10 action figures list, you guys were just ripping the Leia figures, both of them, you know, like there were two of them and you guys. Monkey you know, face. Monkey yes, face like Leia, monkey. yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure they weren't super thrilled about that. But obviously, toy, you know, Twisted Toy Bear Theater, Twisted Mego Theater originally became the breakout feature of the magazine. It was huge. Like you said, many collected editions. It was reprinted, laid the groundwork for Robot Chicken, you know, long running TV series. But is it safe to say, would you guys feel that ultimately Toy Fair was kind of viewed as more of a mad magazine style humor publication than just Wizard for Toys? Like, did, would oh, yeah. you imagine? That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think there was far more attention and space given to comedy in that magazine than any other thing we did. And it was, again, as I think, uh, you know, one of you guys just said, I mean, it was... It, it was a way for Pat to let all of his stuff out and also to give other people an opportunity because the, the collaborative nature of the comedy in Toy Fair, like we said before, so many of those jokes were clipboards. Like they would oh, send yeah. out pictures of, you know, this a clipboard with a stack of the big shots and people would just contribute what they thought would be the best caption or word balloons. And whoever made it, you know got, got highlighted as the one that made pat laugh the most got, got they made the cut yeah uh, the big shots tom palmer uh assistant editor was charged with uh photographing random action figures together with uh staff i mean literally paul Chiraldi was staff photographer i mean we he yeah, was freelance right. but we hired him for every single issue and i mean most of our budget was paul right steve yeah it was yeah it was and uh you know those were all clipboard jokes but even things like, you know, Pat would have an idea where, hey, Migo Spidey loses his pants. And so throughout the issue, randomly, he's going to pop up pantsless, you know, or we're going to hide uh, McFarlane toys is's, you know, those little creatures from the Max randomly throughout. And if you find all of them, you win, you know, the, the sweepstakes for whatever that issue was. I mean, every page had some some added joke, you know, right up until press time, really. I mean, we were yeah. we were. We always worked to create a small staff and we, we always, you know, we, we called upon Andrew and Brian and whoever else to help us get out the door. 
because we were like literally three people when the magazine was was full time. Uh, but just jamming stuff in right up until the very last minute. Well, and 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 as I think we mentioned in the Pat tribute issue uh, episode, um, the Twisted Torfer Theater was he recognized the value as as the marquee piece within that magazine, and like that that he sweated every single word balloon. I can't even tell you how many times he rewrote that until it went out the door. It, it would just it was a constant thing until it was already look if this doesn't go now it doesn't see print that goes yeah, for the I, whole magazine every single word balloon in that yeah. magazine you looked at yeah. no i mean my my role in twisted toy fair theater i was usually among the last people to look at it because pat would hand it to me and ask me hey which words do we need to bold italic <laughs> <laughs> Brian, weren't you also the one was like, is this too far? Weren't you kind of the voice of reason? Like, did we push it too far? We had one of those? Uh, I think Brian I, was. I, I think on rare occasions, I I, I might have played that role. But I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, I, I think it would take a lot for something to really go too far. I mean, because the general nature of <laughs> of that whole, that whole section was to, to push it far. So, yeah. you know. I think Pat set the bar really high with the first one with, um, well, with uh, Super Villain Jeopardy, uh, because those were some <laughs> yes. of the most the most awesome uh, amigos at the time. Doctor Doom, Alex Trebek. We did the first Alex Trebek toy, uh, teeny tiny little Mister Mind, Mind. It looked like it was made out of marzipan. My favorite. And yeah. and uh, Red Skull, you know, like. Yeah. Well, we couldn't do in twenty. We couldn't do Red Skull in twenty twenty two. I'm sorry, guys. There's just no way. Well, we you could. You just couldn't. You you couldn't do the swastika. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not. But that um, wasn't going to happen but, with us anyway. Yeah, but that one kind of. I mean, and you know, it really should be said. I mean, you know, credit to Matt Senreich and Seth Green and Doug Goldstein and Tom Root. But really, the the roots of uh, Robot Chicken are in Toy Fair magazine, and with what you know, Pat and uh, you know later uh, Tom Root. Um, you know, it got to the point with those meetings, the Twisted Toy Fair Theater uh, meetings, where I just kind of stepped back and let those guys do it because they were hours long, took half days. And then the shooting of it took, it was like a one day shoot that turned into a five day shoot sometimes. Usually. There's a lot of yeah. reshoots usually too. Yeah. We blew the budget on uh, Twisted Toy Fair Theater, Twisted Mego Theater from the start. So one of the best and worst things that happened is when uh, I finally set up our own digital studio because then... It was we saved a lot of money, but that meant he could keep reshooting later. <laughs> what well, do you guys ultimately have a gag that stands out to you from Twisted Toy Fair Theater, like or, or just even just like a word balloon or caption, just something that always kind of you maybe you came up with it, maybe it was just something that had you laughing. Is there anything that uh that comes to mind from over the years? Because I know there's obviously a lot <laughs> to try and remember. Anything Migo Hulk said. Yeah, maybe Migo Hulk. That's yes. I just popped in my head. <laughs> like, when, didn't he have a, a thing where where he had to, he had the runs and Doctor Doom? <laughs> That's house. the one I remember too. Yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, him punching the air or something, and it was the Invisible Woman, and basically it just turns into like blood. Wasn't wasn't there a body that Migo Spidey and Migo Hulk had to hide? That the buried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that kind of stuff that kept us out of Toys R Us ultimately. <laughs> We had a very serious meeting uh, with, you know, the brain trust upstairs about getting into Toys R Us. And, you know, we sort of had to argue that the content wouldn't be seen by small kids because it was polybagged. 
And so we just need to put a label on it. But they were really trying to get us into Toys R Us. And we're like, look, we are who we are. If we change it, then we're going to lose the readers. And we were, I think we were building steadily. I mean, yeah. I think part of the success of it was that each month our numbers increased and we were on a rise. And, you know, I mean, Wizard was, you know, exceedingly popular and Inquest was popular, but we were like swiftly like nipping at their heels and, you know, showing that, you know, that we were a legit magazine too. Yeah, and I'm curious because you guys mentioned this a little bit earlier, like some like lists that you would put together and you'd say, you know, figures we'll never see, figures we want to see. Obviously in Wizard for a long time, there was the wish list feature. And Avi Arad himself said in an interview in that first winter special that he would refer to the Wizard magazine lists. And I'm sure that carried over to Toy Fair to consider, okay, what do the fans want and what are we going to produce? Did you guys ever like process that where you're like you know what i've always wanted this figure to get made i could add it to a list and it's probably going to go into production within a year or two like did you ever think to use the influence of the magazine in that way i i would have had a manhunter action figure made oh, yeah yeah and i know if i if i had known the power then i don't know i think yeah, we were too busy cracking jokes you know yeah. trying trying to get the product out you know and we were you know we were a drain on pat's time and i dimly recall uh, at some point they had to, I think Jen Cavallo maybe had to like work out a schedule. Like, you know, Mondays was Mondays and Tuesdays were wizard. We, we could have Pat on Wednesdays or something like that. But, you know, his, his days had a schedule because we were a drain on his resources at times. And he had three, four magazines to run at any given day. I mean, I guess uh, I, I would ask uh, as a follow-up to that, is there a moment where you guys recognize like hey you know like like you said it was slowly building but like wow toy fair is you know is really making an impact people are loving it or you know manufacturers companies are giving us access we didn't have before like is there a moment where you were kind of like you know what this was a, a pretty cool feature we were able to put together but wouldn't have happened you know three or four years ago if we asked it's it, when you're in it, it's really hard to see that i think you're, yeah. you're kind of in the weeds i i think like scott said before it's it's it, it's kind of like we knew month to month the numbers were going up and for 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 literally for when, when you're in the magazine business that's the only thing you want to hear so that's your sign for success keep doing what we're doing and more of it now i uh, think we okay. i think we opened up trade secrets more than any other magazine at the time like nobody was like talking about two ups or the molds or you know the stuff the proprietary information that the toy companies were a little reluctant to reveal everything and so we kind of demystified the toy making process for a lot of, of a lot of collectors and buyers. And and then then we were entertainment too. I mean, we made it entertaining, but we got sculptors like Claymore to just, you know, show us like Lady Death in progress and yeah. and other things. And uh just, you know, getting the uh getting the prototypes and saying, like, hey, this is coming out a year from now because it's gotta come on a boat from you know, from Hong Kong after being manufactured and painted by, you know, little Chinese girls with, you know, because their hands are small enough to do the eyes and stuff like that, you know? Nobody else was talking about these companies like this. Nobody was was making it. Some some of the other magazines may that existed may have touched on some of the topics, but they certainly weren't delivering it in, in a way that fans found more you know, as accessible. Or fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Pat, you know, made the price guide fun uh, because I don't think Pat ever cared about a price guide other than, you know, I don't know. I mean, Pat wasn't a mint on card guy at all. No. You know, he played with his toys. He set them up. 
you know, and that's kind of the, the, uh, I mean, everybody in the office, every office space and shelf was filled with toys, you know? So we were all fans of the material. We weren't just writing about it. We lived it. Yeah. Greetings, geeks. Adam and Michael here. And we want to tell you that support for Wizards, the podcast guide to comics is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming. Now, here's the thing, guys. Their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package 4.0 is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. And guys, they sent it to us and it has been a fantastic experience. Wouldn't you say, Michael? I would say so. And let me tell you, you should join the over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code WIZARDS20 at manscaped.com. So here's the thing, geeks. Uh, we get excited uh, about grooming nowadays, and it's it's been a, a new experience for me, at least. I think I feel like Michael's probably a little bit more on the personal grooming side of things lately, and I'm just saying, like, hey, it's it's a whole new experience. It's a whole new way of life here. I think he just called me a pretty boy there. <laughs> Oh, man, I mean, it's one of those things where I just, I said, eh, you know, I'm a, a hairy guy. I just have to deal with it. And Manscaped has taught me that there are alternatives, okay? I'm getting familiar. First of all, I just want to share this with you, okay? This is their Lawnmower 4.0, okay? The Lawnmower 4.0 is so awesome. It looks like something that would be in the Batcave, if you ask me. Just like, Dude, not only that, it. like, did you see the cradle that this thing comes with? Like, it's... It's a really interesting docking station that it doesn't plug into anything. It like it charges inside the thing. There's no like USB port or anything on the bottom that it clicks into because it's waterproof and you can use it in the shower. And I'll tell you, like I've been shaving my head now for like four years and I've tried so many different products and I try to use them in the shower and they all have some sort of port and they short out over time. I use this thing and it really did a fantastic job on my bald head here, which is you can't even believe it. And I only had to use this. And I, you should see the amount of products I have, like razors. And I've got your, you know, seven blade razors and this, that, and the other thing. I used this, just this device on my head. And it worked fantastic. I even used it on my neck, on my beard. Worked incredible. I'll also say, like, you know, I've got a weird, like, nose, ear, hair issue. So I checked out the Weed Whacker. And I've tried a lot of different like nose cleanup things. This thing, not only did it work really well, but it was actually kind of gentle on my nose. Like it didn't hurt me and like yeah, rip my nose gentle. out of my head. It, like it's one of those things where I, I was amazed. I was just like, shouldn't it be buzzing? Shouldn't it I was be like, is it work? working? And I looked yeah. and I was like, whoa, it really cleaned up the inside. I was pretty impressed. Like, th there is a reason why they work so well. And that's because this is their fourth generation trimmer, right? This is the 4.0. Yeah. They've been doing it for a while. And it has this cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Oh, like, right. You know, I can't, I've cut my head so many times. This thing, it felt like I was barely even touching it. It just went right up, no problem. Yeah, it I was has really impressed. skin safe technology to help you to prevent any of those things. You're going to do your best you can. Of course, you're going to be careful with it. Plus, Michael, I don't know if you tried it out because you know, you're you're back here, you're up here, I'm down there, and uh, doing a little lawn mowing myself. And uh, they have the light on it, this 4,000 spotlight, and it's just like, oh, I see exactly what's going on. <laughs> oh, hello, old friend. <laughs> <laughs> you but don't want to miss there let me tell you 
Yeah, so here's the thing. If you are interested in getting the performance package 4.0, it's also a great gift for the holidays. Hey, have a little fun. Tell somebody they need to take care of their balls. They might get a, a kick out of it, you know? So like we said, it's going to give you the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, the crop preserver ball deodorant, the crop reviver toner, spritz spritz, performance boxer briefs, and that shed travel bag. So if you go to manscaped.com and use the promo code WIZARDS20, you'll get free worldwide shipping and 20% off your entire order. So it's a great opportunity. The free shipping thing is huge. Like so many places now, every time you go, oh, I got to pay this $8 shipping. You're getting a lot of stuff. And this box was heavy. A lot of stuff in this thing. And it was free shipping. 20% off. It's a fantastic deal. It's a great holiday gift. I think people will love it. And I'm telling you right now, they might look at you like, why are you giving me this thing? They're going to thank you later. Trust me. 100%. So get your 20% off and free shipping with code wizards20 at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code wizards20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Now back to the show. Now, obviously, a big part of uh, what continued to occur in the magazine monthly was also the exclusive mail-away figures (laughs) that you guys offered from the very beginning. Like, that's what's amazing. It's like, first thing out, we're going to release a Molten Man uh, exclusive figure, which actually led to quite a few angry letters, people who got, you know, return mail of their order forms because you guys didn't order quite enough that first time out. But then, you know, going into things like, you know, Kitty Pride coming around you know and that was a a a great one that people loved um she can't breathe open her (laughs) she just has to face face through it yeah um i want to say with molten man i i think that was a conversation i had with pat i think i i had a role in coming up with how we could make that figure and then that that often happened like the daredevil figure was very like the the arm the you know the black black and red armor like that was an easy one. I think we we came up, you know, that might have been a clipboard too. Yeah, and um, we had this one too. Eventually, yeah, yeah. that's the one I remember. Yeah, yeah, I remember looking. I think we were looking at your toys, Brian, and saying like, what parts could be repurposed? I mean, the kind of the the figure bashing in order to you know come up with something new. It's so, yeah, like the idea was man... to keep the cost down for you know like toy biz or whoever the partner was at that time. So the idea was to try and make that, give them an easy yes. Yeah. We would never make that figure. So you could we say could like, okay, we're just going to repaint a Flash figure and now yeah. it's Professor Zoom. Okay. Yeah, that was my idea. I love that. that, 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 I, that I, I championed that. I couldn't wait for that to come off the off the truck. <laughs> Daily, I, I, I don't know who, I think it was uh, Ben Plavin. Plavin, I, I annoyed Daily. Like, you know, is it here? Is he here? You know? <laughs> And it wasn't Eradicator one that just hadn't been released. It was planned for the Man of Steel line or something. And then, yeah, you know, after we got to know the toy companies and we knew like what wasn't going to come out, we're like, hey, we can share the cost of producing this and do it as an exclusive. It gives you street cred because you're making a figure that they normally wouldn't get. And then we get an exclusive. So, you know, that, that, those were really cool ones to do. And so that was a team effort that that was just everybody kind of coming to go, okay, for this month, let's brainstorm. Who can we get, you know, get in into production and ready for the next issue? Well, and the, one of the, the, the driving like people involved in that was the circulation guys, Stu Morales in particular, 
the idea Dude. was every issue had to have an exclusive to drive sales. Like, cause he knew that, that, like you said, the first issue sold out very quickly. That became the golden ticket, right? Every issue had to have an exclusive to keep pushing those sales numbers. Yeah. Our learning curve was steep on that because once we, we figured out how to do it and the companies trusted us, we started to do like several at a time. Like we had Kitty Pride in production at the same time as Bullseye and someone else. And they, you know, they got better. Like Molten Man was really simple. And then we, you know, they got more complex, you know, the further we went along and, you know, I mean, again, yeah, the golden ticket, like you had to buy the magazine and open it up because it was polybagged in order to get the order form. <laughs> Somebody specifically said that when they were mad about their Molten Man figure, like I only bought it for the figure. <laughs> and then you guys <laughs> said, well, we'll refund your money. <laughs> Sorry, but we're pretty sure it's very entertaining if you actually read it. Um, but as we're kind of uh, coming to a close here, is have any more memories shaken loose or are there things about uh, working on the magazine that you feel need to be shared? Some behind the scenes concepts. Again, like you say, for you guys, it was the day job. It was the grind. It was, we got to get this done. But but is there something about Toy Fair that's like kind of the, the warm and fuzzy memory for you? The early covers were some of the most fun uh, I had. Uh, because we got to like we literally were building these sets and and like that first one in particular the the uh the ad at scott knows what that was like i mean i had to build this platform that was gigantic and then we went through like a hundred boxes of cornstarch to build all the snow mounts <laughs> and had this giant photo blown up of the the background because before you could really like digital stuff was you know, it was much harder to pull off back then. So it, it all had to be kind of real effects. Yeah. And, you know, it was doing that stuff every month was just, it, that was a, a blast. The photo backdrop for the ad was a couple hundred bucks. Hasbro sent us the, the prototype. And then, uh, you know, we had Dan Riley and the, the, uh, the uh, research guys cleaning it with teeny tiny toothbrushes to make sure all that hundred pounds of cornstarch was off so that we could return it. And, you know, they loved it. Hasbro loved it. And it made a great poster in addition to the cover. I think that's, that's another one of the added value things in the polygon. Yeah. What's funny is Arlene. So she sent us a picture a couple months back. She was just out at a convention. She found that toy fair poster, you know, the ad at, and I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I remember when Pat showed me that cover because uh, I wasn't involved at all in the making of it, and he showed it to me, and I, I was blown away. And, and I could see he was so pleased by my reaction because that's exactly what he wanted. You know, he wanted people to be able to see this and be just completely inspired looking at this thing. It was it was incredible. It really was. I think uh, one of my favorite memories was when we did the uh, small soldiers toys. Oh, yeah. Test this. It, we we we, uh, <laughs> we gave these toys to Steve and said, you know, figure it out, do something with it. And they would not, they didn't tell us what the movie was about. We got the prototypes, not knowing, you know, the, the movie was a bomb, but like the toys were cool. And I, Steve, you went through what, like six or seven different photo ideas. And in the end, what did you do? I, I finally settled on a, on a worm's eye view to make them look big. And it turned out that that was actually kind of the, the visual thrust of the movie was that it was, you know, the camera was pushed down to make them look like they were real things instead of these small toys. But it was and in it front of a out. tire. It was You took it yeah. to the parking lot and shot it in front of like somebody's car. Yeah. 
So Andrew, I'm curious for you, like as you were contributing to the magazine over the years, obviously you said you still have the original Mego Spidey. Uh, how many appearances did that figure make ultimately before you reclaimed Pretty it? Pretty sure it was just the, not even an issue. It was just okay. that uh, strip that was in, I think, Wizard, the Macarena. Okay. Or the first special. Um, that was about it. And then we started spending a fortune uh, hunting for actual Migos. Yeah, I think we had like six. Yeah, we had a lot of Migos Spideys. Stunt Spideys. Yeah, we <laughs> used yours a lot, and then we we kind of were ruining it, so we had to buy you a new one, and then buy a bunch of extras just for the just for that one strip. Yeah, for people who aren't aware, because uh, this has been mentioned on previous interviews, some of you have done on the Wizard Files, but can somebody explain the toy archive that you guys had and and how you kept that? Because I think a lot of people would be excited to be because they saw so many toys in the magazine, but they're like, did they keep all those? There, yeah, was, there was cabinets a, in the back. Yeah, it's not as exciting like, as it sounds. <laughs> there was a, a there was a small locked room in the warehouse that yeah. uh, became the the inquest, uh, you know, uh, Magic the Gathering, you know, valuable card archive. And then we we took some spots in it too. But every action figure had its own uh, unique cardboard box, and they were labeled. And the the research guys had everything where we needed it when we needed it. People don't understand that of of all the unsung heroes from wizard dan riley yep was like there was nothing he wouldn't get done if you gave it like literally at one point for one project pat was working on he, he needed a a a a werewolf like a, a physical where and dan built a werewolf in the back that's amazing wow i mean yeah so obviously you know the magazine is the is the magazine I feel like from Wizard Press that is most beloved that never was controversial. Like you guys are mentioning, maybe you know, with the corporations, you know, that didn't want to put it in their stores or things like that. But like among the fans, among people who read it, there, you know, Wizard has its share of criticism over the years, you know, and that, that could just be tied into the speculator market of comics and all those things. But when it came to Toy Fair, people just love it so much. Everything they say is kind words. Do you guys think you have an understanding as to why that would be what is the difference between toy fair and wizard being so close but yet uh one was maybe held in a higher esteem uh over the length of the the run i i think it comes down to the 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 approach um because a lot of the things that wizard get got criticized for uh, like the top 10 comics uh writers and artists list were always criticized they were always something that got looked at as if that was something that people bought their way onto you know, and, and things like that. And you can't, there was no such way to do that in the toy action figure industry. It was generally just about celebrating it and without really finding, there was no way to kind of sneak in that that negativity. I think, um, I think I said this the last time I was on this podcast. Um, it took me a, a many years to kind of come to this conclusion, but I don't think, we would have the place we are today with comic books and toys without wizard and toy fair and wizard entertainment. I mean, the guys in this room and all the other people that aren't in this room and all that, that came before and after. And, you know, Pat McCallum is, you know, the guiding force, you know, really the guiding creative force um, mm -hmm. uh, that there wouldn't be an Avengers Endgame moment where Captain America picks up Mjolnir um, and have that, that, you know, everybody cheering in a movie theater, if not for the atmosphere that wizard and toy fair and you know wizard entertainment created fandom the fan environment and made it legit because because we all challenged 
the industries. You know, we challenged the creators, we challenged the companies. If it was a turd, we said it was a turd, you know, and I, I just, you know, I think we've all, you know, been a part of all of these businesses, but we realized that, that the fan community that has spawned like this cultural high point for comics and toys, that's, that's wizard. Wizard did that, you know, and Pat led us into the fray. So, well, yeah, like you said, the thing with it is he created a home for people who felt like most of us felt more isolated in that fandom when we were growing up and yeah. he made it uh, a party. You know, he gave us a home and he gave all these fans a place to come and celebrate their fandom and not feel like it was odd, weird, strange. It was to be celebrated. And, and that just made it cool or fun. He made it actually, this is where you really want to be. We're cooler yeah. than people who aren't doing this stuff. And look at it nowadays. You know, everyone's, yeah. you, you can't, you know, go anywhere without seeing a Captain America shirt on somebody. It's It still blows my mind. It's a little crazy. <laughs> they made a movie with Rocket Raccoon. It's yeah. like that one. <laughs> How about an Ant-Man? <laughs> Are we wrong, Brian? I mean, you were there, you know? You, you, I mean, and you were, you know, the guiding force behind so much of this. I don't know. I mean, I I lack, I think I lack the perspective. I, I just, you know, one of the things I learned at Wizard was you really want to get to know a subject don't talk to the subject. You know, you get you get quotes from everyone who who knows the subject, and you'll get more candor and you'll get more truth. I I'm not that. I, I don't think I'm the right person to ask for that. I mean, I know we did our best. That's quite that's quite a responsibility. <laughs> well, <and laughs> you've think, laid out there. I, I think it's the genuineness. It's like you say, it was a legitimate passion from the people in the bullpen, for the people in editorial trying to push these things forward that they cared about and they knew so many other people cared about. And it definitely came through to all of us who were reading it. So, you know, your work certainly paid off everybody, you know, who was contributed, like you said, Scott, before and after, like it all added up together to this thing that is so fondly remembered. So we really I think do, we pulled back yeah. the curtain. You know, and we let everybody in on the creative process. We de we demystified it and also just, you know, allowed everybody like we held the door open, said, everybody, come on in. This is how it's done. You can stand behind Todd McFarlane and watch him draw or you can watch this action figure being created. And I think that that's we I don't think we'd have what we have today without. I mean, I think the impact of Wizard is so important. We're going to look back on this and, you know, we're going to Monday morning quarterback it to death. But academically, you know, I don't think we'd be here today if we didn't have through the 90s, you know, when everything was happening and all these creators were coming up to uh, to really appreciate all this the way we do now. It's like I, I, I'm, I'm still, you know, because when we were doing it and we we're in the middle of it, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's just get it done and do it well. And, and do it again next month. And do it again next month. And 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 so on. And you know, it it's a it's a grind, like any any deadline oriented business. Uh it it, it you know, it never ends. And the fact that we're talking about this, you know, Toy Fair special and and the origins of that and and just you know how it spawned from Wizard and I could just I can't I can't wrap my brain around the fact that there are people that love this stuff so much, like like yourself, that you invited the uh, you know the uh, the four of us on here to to talk about this stuff. I think that's uh, it, it's hard to believe, but uh, you know because we were just doing what we loved and we did the best we could with what we had to work with at the time. Uh, 
it wasn't always fun, but it was mostly fun. I mean, it it uh, I, it, it never was felt a, like I was working. I'm just saying, <laughs> it was hard well, work, but it never felt like I was working. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best way to put it. It it it, it wasn't it wasn't easy, uh, but you know we we made it work. People like what we did, and uh, it's really gratifying that uh, that people now look fondly back on it. Yeah, and I will tell you, it's not just two crazies over here with a podcast telling you how great you were, because literally every time that we post something from Toy Fair, especially, and all of our wizard things, like, we get, like, a ton of new, you know, followers on social media. Oh, I just found out. I can't believe it. I, I had every wizard magazine. I loved it so much. It's there at my parents' house. I'm going to go get them. And then they show us their pictures. Like, they're so proud. Just like, I read it every month. I reread this issue so many times. So, like, it was it wasn't disposable and it's not forgotten. It, it meant so much to a lot of people. Sometimes they just need that little nudge, like, remember? Oh yeah, I remember. You know, they just can't get enough. So but again, you guys, this has been so much fun just to to get your thoughts and and hear your memories. And like I say, uh, a lot of people are going to uh, be enjoying this look behind the scenes at Toy Fair. But uh, this is something where, you know, I'm sure uh, there will be more to come in the future. We'll probably dip into the Toy Fair world once again. and People can uh, have a little bit more excitement uh, in reliving those times. But uh, is there anything at this time you guys want to point us in the direction of any projects you're working on right now? Um, I, I still do a toy vlog, um, mostly for the free toys, you know, so, and I, and I just like to keep up with it. It's uh, yeah. Toy fair really, you know, opened me up to it. Um, I, I just wrote an intro to a DC comics silver age collection, uh, that came out this week, uh, Batman in the silver age. And, uh, I have a, a comic book with, uh, Chuck Dixon, uh, called unprepped. It's sort of a post-apocalyptic comedy that, uh, that came out. So I, you know, I, I still do some writing, but I, I teach mostly now I, I'm really uh, fortunate I, I get to teach uh, the next generation of creative writers at a charter arts high school. It's kind of like fame. You know, there's dancing and singing in the hallways. So that's <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> Great. I mean, I still collect. <gasps> oh, that was the 50th anniversary, Migos? Yeah, I just got them today. <laughs> uh, it's the luckiest kid ever, Brian. I, uh, hey, I, I would have killed for either one of these when I was a kid. I would have killed for these. I was in London over the summer. And I killed oh, for a Green Arrow Migo. And I got him. <laughs> well, wonderful. So again, thank you guys so much for joining us. And uh, we will sign off for now. Until next time. Uh, hey, keep those figures on the card. Or don't. They're more fun to play with. <laughs> <laughs>